0: He's from the hard-hitting world of ice hockey. She's from the red carpets of Tinseltown. Together, they are two of the leading executive producers in Hollywood. Responsible for mega-hits like Hoosiers, Sudden Death, and the Oscar-winning Ray. A true sports and entertainment power couple. Meet Karen and Howard Baldwin. This is Pucks and Paparazzi with your host, Stephen Maggi. Wait, 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 fellas, do we have that old Hartford Whalers music from the NHL? Let's try that. That's the one perfect. Howard Baldwin has owned teams in the National Hockey League and World Hockey Association. Karen Baldwin has been an actor and TV reporter. This is a real dynamic duo now let's drop the puck and turn the lights here is the host of pucks and paparazzi stephen Maggie. time now for pucks and paparazzi with our good
1: friends the baldwins howard and karen Howard, you know him. He's the CEO of Baldwin Entertainment. They've made some great films like Ray and been involved with any number of films. We're going to talk about a couple today. And Karen, she's all involved in this as well, in the production and the writing and what have you. Uh, Just a great team from the world of sports, but in the world of entertainment. And we're going to talk about a couple of movies that were different. Last week, we talked about a typical Hollywood, great movie involving sports. Ever had anything in your life where you said, Wow, that would make a great movie? But sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. There's an art to this, and we're going to talk about that. The two films we're going to talk about are Game of Their Lives and Swimming Upstream. Karen, great stories different completely, you know, than the typical Hollywood uh, film, but they're great stories, and just because it's a great story doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate well in the film. So what are you looking for beyond just the idea, wow, that's really an interesting story?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest distinction between the two films we're going to be talking about today, um, Game of Their Lives and Swimming Upstream, and a film we talked about last week, which was Sudden Death, Sudden Death was a big studio action, big-budget tentpole picture, as they call them. Whereas these two movies were really smaller independent films, um, which meant um, they cost less. Um, we have happened to film both um, in different countries. We filmed one in Australia and uh, the other in Brazil. What happens with an independent film is it really, at the time when we were making these movies top stars really wanted to do movies that they could get attention for their performance, um, possible nominations. So these small indie films tended to be much more art house subject matter, sometimes difficult subject matter. um, And in this case, both of these movies were based on true stories. Uh, And the true stories in these cases were small stories, but they dealt with Large subject matter. Um, swimming upstream really deals with alcoholism, um, and how it can really wreak havoc with an entire family. Um, and game of their lives is really a famous underdog story, um, from the 1950s where the U.S. team beat the British team, um, during the cup. It was unheard of because at the time American teams were not, you know, were not considered top of the line in soccer compared to European teams.
1: It was 30 Absolutely. years ahead of its time, right? Because it's it, yeah. sort of like the miracle on ice from Lake Placid.
2: That's exactly right. So these, both of these we thought had potential because of the international appeal, but also the worldwide appeal. I mean, I don't think there's a family that hasn't, dealt with in some way, shape, or form um, addiction or, or alcohol abuse, and so we knew that that, that would hit home, and um, we thought that the soccer project was a sort of a rah-rah America story, which we were keen on doing, um, and we wound up getting a director and a writer for that that were our dream choice, um, which is the same writer-director uh, that did Rudy and that did
1: Hoosiers. When I read that, I thought to myself, well, that's the, uh, the game of their lives is a perfect feel into that same group because it's a true story, but it's yes. one of those that makes you feel good, and mm-hmm. it's always more involved. And both of these have more than just the game, but I think the uh, the game of their lives really is about that game, and you yeah. get this feeling of, I guess, a lot of the excitement or a lot of the drama from that, comes from all these different people coming from different areas and kind of melding together in the same way like we were talking about with the, uh, the United States team in 1980 at Lake Placid. It was sort of the same thing where you have a mix of cultures and it's always interesting putting together a team and I guess that's where you find the dramatic part of, of all this.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it, the, night, the World Cup, it was a World Cup and it was unheard of for an American team in 1950 to be even considered a factor and this this team was not. It was just they go in, they figured they'd lose and they'd come home. Well, it's a collection of guys mostly from the St. Louis area that were pulled together and, and uh you know, in the semifinal round they beat the British team, which then was the greatest team in the world. I mean it was an amazing upset.
1: Wasn't one of the things the hopes was to kind of build up soccer as Mm -hmm. a spectator sport here in the United States? And, well, I think, you know, that sport is always going to be kind of a harder sell because you compare it, like, for example, to hockey. uh, It's just so it's just different. You know, you grow up with one or another. It's different. But it it seems to me like soccer works well on film just because of the very nature of that game. Some of the same things that slow it up seems like it would help putting together a film. did you find that to be the case?
3: You mean to actually film the soccer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was a lot easier to do that than than the hockey. Yeah. Um, and 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 it's an easier sport to follow because the ball is big and the players are easily identifiable mm-hmm. and and it's not They're not wearing a helmet. They're not I mean. wearing a helmet. So I mean it's but at the same time the pace is yeah. not you know, unless you really know soccer and, yeah. you know, when the rest of the world knows it and gets it. It's taken us. I think they've really gotten it now. It is a good following. But who's kidding who? There's not a lot of scoring. And, you know, a lot of it is going up and down the field. You don't have mm-hmm. skates on or anything like that. So the pacing is way different.
2: Interestingly enough, it was um, Gerard Butler's, one of his first That's films. Right. And he, he's, you know, he's Scottish. And mm-hmm. so he was very familiar with the soccer and was a good soccer player. Um, so, he you know, he wound up playing the lead role. Um, and that was, you know, right before he really kind of took off and, and became a big action star himself. Um, and actually for the rest of the team, we had tryouts. Angelo Pizzo and um, David Onsbach were, they had done Hoosiers and, they, and Rudy, and they wanted the sport to be, Believable and look as good as it could look and be as authentic as possible. So we held open tryouts and um, we cast people who really could play soccer. Uh, and, in fact, one guy that they that didn't make the last round cut called us up the next day and he said, I, you know, thank you so much for the opportunity. And it's just as well because I've been selected for the Olympic team and we had cut him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to have acting ability, too. But, I, yeah, I understood that. that. That was one of the things you were looking for. You had to have the, the, the good soccer skills because otherwise you can't sell this.
0: That's
3: right. 100% That's right. right. And the soccer looked good. I mean, it looked
1: good on film. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Butler, it's kind of cool because he played the goaltender, even though that wasn't. But he understood the game so well that he he got all that. And yeah. there's something about the goaltender. There was a movie I remember. Uh, now I can't remember the name of it, but Sylvester Stallone was in where he played a goalie oh, yeah. with yeah. Pele. Yeah, and. Uh, That's right. But I kind of like this a little more, to be honest with you, because I kind of was thinking about that. But I like this movie a little better because it really happened. There's a good feeling about knowing that, hey, this was real. No question. <laughs> you
2: know? That's right. That's
3: right. The, the movie you're thinking of is called Victory,
1: Yeah, it? Victory. Yeah, it was yeah. flying.
2: That's yeah. right. That's
1: yeah. right. And it was a good movie, too. You know, Pele was in it and so forth. But yeah, that's right. Generally speaking, in uh, in World War II, they didn't let the POWs leave the, uh, the stadium. But did you guys have to do... Uh, much in the way of research for this because you, you want to be as authentic as you can and you're going back to 1950 uh, yep. that wasn't something that everybody remembered from watching from TV I imagine that a lot of people you know, unless they were there or they were a soccer fan at the time probably weren't that familiar with it I think that's 100% that's
2: correct 100% yeah. Right. Yeah. and actually with a period piece it's always there's always an added expense with a period piece because obviously you have to have period costumes you have to have the right vehicles you have to have you know a home that has appliances that are of that era <laughs> not present day so it's a little more uh expensive because it's a little more of an effort you really have to set dress differently than you would a movie set in present day
1: you find you find that's really important with any kind of film you got to make sure you've got that look that people are uh they, it's believable, I guess, that it really came yeah. from that oh, time.
3: Yeah. It's critical. I mean, that's that's so important because the slightest thing can take you out of the movie. You remember the great story of the Dino De Laurentius movie when he had the legions of Roman soldiers <laughs> marching into the city and one guy had his Ray-Ban sunglasses on. <laughs> Somehow they missed it. But <laughs> it <Yeah. laughs> it yep. can happen.
1: I remember. I, I remember reading something about Ben Hur, and the only reason I know about it is at my school, and that was way before me. But they used to talk about it. They had the uh, the Trojan band there, and some guy had a uh, wristwatch, and nobody caught it. So, fortunately, oh unless you know it's coming, there you, you probably won't see it. But so that's a great film, and I think anybody that likes history pieces, and I certainly do, and uh, just a fun a fun game that was really incredible. And if you think back to 1980 you go right back to 1950 when even less people were aware of it but that kind of makes it even more special the yeah. other movie is fascinating Swimming Upstream and I want to talk with you about that because yeah there's swimming in there of course and that's part of all this but really the story is about this difficult life and we all know people like this a dysfunctional family can be uh, can be a struggle and when you're thinking about when they were growing up in the uh, the mid 50s you know, early 60s People just hid that stuff. I guess it's a case of using sports to kind of free yourself. Was that the, kind of the idea of the film?
2: Yeah, definitely, because I think if you look at the pool scenes when he swims, um, you know, when, when, when you watch what the character, when he looks at the water, when there's many sequences where he sort of fantasizes about the water, it, it is definitely his escape. Nobody can touch him when he's in the pool.
1: But it, it's one of those things that you got to get past that whole uh, growing up period and you know it's going to, or you think it's going to, it's going to end well. But really, it wasn't like, uh, you know, the fun. Other, well, you know, give us, rather than me throw this in there, why don't you give us kind of a, a quick uh, summary of what goes well, on and how it starts up? Because we can get into kind of some of the details on that afterwards.
3: Sure. Um, it's To me, it's probably the most favorite movie or one of them that we've done for me because it has touches on so many important subjects, but the, the story being a father played by Jeffrey Rush, a brilliant actor who's, who's a raging alcoholic. And that was back in the day when, you know, in the late 50s, early, early 60s, 60, 61, where, where the union he was on the, the, Docked, working on the docks went on strike a lot and they didn't have work so his drinking was bad he was laid off from the job or they were on strike and his wife um, played by Judy Davis another great actress says take the two boys John and Tony to what they call the Bass which was a swim club so he reluctantly does and he's sitting on, in the side and the kids jump in the pool and lo and behold to his astonishment he sees both kids brilliant swim. He said, these kids can swim. <laughs> really, really swim. Tony does the backstroke. John does the breaststroke. Now, John was a masculine guy and, and a guy's guy and Tony wasn't quite that, you know? Yeah. And so the father always resented Tony, but Tony had the bigger heart and he competed the two boys against each other and the whole finance. The family dynamic of dealing with the father's alcoholism, the, the competition between the two boys um, uh, is, is extraordinary to watch. I urge people to watch this movie because it's not only a wonderful movie and at the end of the day you feel great, but you learn so much about it, what a dysfunctional alcoholic family can do to each member of the family.
2: And well, what's interesting is the father really is laser-focused his attention on the brother John because he is sort of a macho kid, and he figures, okay, this is my chance. My son's going to go to the Olympics. It's going to be John. Um, And meanwhile, Tony um, really had to to overcome a, a lot of the hang-ups because the father was just not nice to him. And ultimately, what wound up happening is, through his own strength and really through the love of his mother as well, um, Tony was able to rise above it, and there's a great scene in the movie where another swimmer turns to him and, and makes the comment, and he says, hey, don't even think that's going to affect me. I've been spiked out by the best of them. Yeah. And so you know that, like, you know, you know that kid has learned, like, he's just toughened himself, and and actually the father's behavior toward him ultimately is, is what led Tony to be able to be the swimmer that made it to the Olympics.
3: He qualified. Yeah. He qualified for the Olympic Games, but unbeknownst to anybody in the family, it's a wonderful scene in the movie where he and his mother, and I guess the younger sister and brother, were watching a, a um, news RKO, one of those old news boards on JFK, and talking about Harvard. And he didn't even know what Harvard was. And then Tony just quietly looked into it. And applied without telling anybody, mm-hmm. and he got into Harvard. And it was, and and you know, he gets the letter, and the family was flabbergasted. And they said, "My God, you could be in the Olympics." He says, "I'm going to Harvard." Yeah, <laughs> and to, you know, I mean he's done great. He's he's a screenwriter, and
2: he, this is his the, the writer of the script is it's his story. He's Tony.
3: He's Tony.
1: Yeah, and and that was kind of like really a liberating moment when he says, uh, this is exactly where I want to be. And what a wonderful thing, because he didn't have any regrets. He knew, and he did it all himself. And and that's the part where you really root for for him. And it's just one of those things that if you don't have that insight, you don't realize what this person has been through. And some of that really, you know, it's typical. You can take a... Kind Of a mental beating, as he did you know, quite often there, and uh, you know, and that, that feeling of not knowing when somebody's going to go off, it's so difficult. And to be able to turn that around and, and, and use that as strength, mm-hmm. it's just wonderful. And I think that the film does a great job in really capturing it. So, I would say to yeah. somebody, if you don't like, if you say, Well, that seems boring swimming, uh, really, that's just a vehicle. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a story, but that's just a vehicle. Okay. It's really the story is the interaction of the family.
2: For sure. And the way the swimming is filmed, Russell Mulcahy was brilliant. He was so far ahead of his time. This movie, remember, this movie was made, you know, a while ago. And when you see how he filmed the underwater sequences and and some of the the devices that he used and the split screens and all that, that was brand new. No one had done that before. He was really ahead of his time. Absolutely.
1: Wow. well, Is it harder to to put on to film things like water sports as as opposed to like hockey, especially because people know what good hockey looks like. You don't necessarily, you know, it's kind of hard to really understand swimming other than who's ahead. Technique and stuff, I don't think a lot of people know that. So is is there like a special way, like you say, in this case, I guess he really came up with some uh, innovative ways to capture it.
3: Well, one of the best things about filming swimming is that it's pretty defined as exactly what's going to happen. You're going to dive in on the pool at one end and you're going to go to the other end and either end the race or do a flip turn and come back the other way. So it's very well structured and defined. Yet at the same time, you've got to find a way to make it different and exciting, as Karen said. And that's what okay, he did. He had the cameras underwater. He had split screen. And so to me, swimming is a beautiful sport. I love to watch the swimming and and uh, and Russell captured it.
2: He also tried some unique approaches with portraying the father when he was when he was drunk. Um, he shot a lot of the things. The, the floor was see-through clear, and he would shoot up through the floor so that it would look blurry and like you could it was the sensation of it if you were if you were drunk and you were looking up at somebody you'd have that weird sort of you know a little dizzy feeling and so he did a lot of that kind of stuff that i think is subtle but when you when you watch it closely again you'll see yeah wow that really made you feel like you were there with the guy who was a little tipsy
1: that's a real story but in terms of Escape. It seems like swimming is perfect. It's the perfect alternative mm-hmm. yes. to all this chaos. And-
3: yeah, right. So, absolutely, because you know you're just in that pool mm-hmm. racing, and even if you swim without it being a race, and it's and it's sort of an exercise thing, it's something very relaxing about it and intoxicating about it. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's good. I mean, I just love that movie.
1: It's sort of timeless too, because you know this this goes back obviously like to the fifties and sixties. And yet, other than the fact that people kept that sort of thing hidden, uh, really anybody that's been in a difficult situation like that can appreciate all the pressures on that. And then you, you know you're you're in a sport too, where you're all out there by yourself. If you do well, you win, and if you don't, you don't.
3: Yeah, exactly right. It's it's a, of course it's a race against your Competition, but it's also a race against the clock. Yeah, you know, if you come in at a certain time, you're probably going to win that race.
2: And interestingly enough, this this movie got so much attention oh, yeah. in Australia. It won it won the equivalent of five or six, you know, Australian awards, the mm-hmm. equivalent of the Australian Academy Award. Here, unfortunately, we were it was released um, by MGM, and MGM was being sold. Um, right. During the process, and unfortunately, they just they didn't have any money to advertise it or what have you. Yeah, yeah it's kind of a shame because um, it could be one of those movies that they also, you know, could could feature. Um, yeah, for people going into rehab and that kind of thing, because it really is pretty powerful and and pretty blunt about the effects on each family member.
1: Well, you know, the film, of course, is. Time has passed, but like you say, it's a great film. It still holds true. Do you try to make an effort to get out to things like TCM or even to, to mm-hmm. large groups of, of, of fans that want to preserve all this great entertainment from the past? Because I think mm-hmm. films like this, people are just dying for it. You know, they really want to see something like this. And you know, Sometimes, oh, that's an old film. It really isn't, and that story is timeless. That's
3: right. That's right. You're so right, again. But what happens once once a distributor gets their arms around it, it becomes their yeah. property to, you know, to merchandise as such so that it's really out of your hands. Um, and, and that's one of the frustrating things about the business.
2: Right. I, I think the thing is with Judy, uh, Judy Davis and Jeffrey Rush, and actually the young fellow who played Tony is in Chicago Fire, uh, Jesse Spencer. Um, and so he wound up with an amazing television career here in the United States. And I think people who are fans of Jeffrey and Judy um, are probably familiar with the movie. And, and we, we get an audience in that regard, too, because they're so well regarded as actors that, you know, people like to see what else they've done that they may not have heard of. And this just tends to be one of those movies.
1: Well, both of the movies are great. You should get a hold of them. One is Game of Their Lives, and that's... a. Incredible true story of a soccer victory that was unheard of at the time, and then a much more involved look uh, into a family in distress swimming upstream. Another great story. If people want to get these, where can they where can they buy that? Is Amazon the best place? Yeah, Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. You
2: can the DVDs. Amazon, Amazon now streaming. I'm
3: sure. You know. I mean, the best thing to do is Google the movie. Yeah, the and main, it'll
1: tell
2: you.
3: And it'll tell you.
1: We will do that, and I'll tell you what else we're going to do. We're going to come back next week, and we're going to talk about how difficult this life is that you have. Not for you, but in terms of people that want to get into it, and you can do it, but there's a lot to be looked at, and you're going to tell us about that and give us some ideas. So we'll talk about that next week. Thanks, guys. All right.
3: Thanks a lot, Steve. Have a good week.
1: Next time on Pucks and Paparazzi, the Baldwins will discuss the hows and whys of making it as a star. Howard and Karen have been intimately involved in the worlds of both sports and motion pictures, and they will share their secrets of success. That's next time on Pucks and Paparazzi. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Maggi.
0: You've been listening to Pucks and Paparazzi. Join us next time for a fun, unique look at the worlds of sports and entertainment. Thanks for listening.